Welcome once again into the Soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Bretos. This is episode 32. As I always like to encourage you, please rate, review, download, subscribe, share our wonderful little podcast so we can spread the word on the OG. Another big show this week, joining me in the business and one of the hardest working men in the soccer industry. He will call games everywhere in the world for everyone. This is Juan Arango. He will be joining for the second time. We'll talk some Messi. We'll talk some Ronaldo. And we'll talk about South American football and where it stands in the big picture of things. Also, in stoppage time, we will discuss the golden generation, this current golden generation of the U.S. men's national team. They were handed the keys of the car for this program. Are they driving it in the right direction? We'll take them to task and see what is the best option for the next group of qualifiers for the U.S. coming in October. We've got a big show, so enough of my yapping. Let's get going. We are back, and would you believe it, the two major talking points in the world of football once again. Well, FIFA. Messi and Ronaldo. Messi and Ronaldo retain the spotlight. Remember last season we were saying, here comes Mbappe, here comes Erling Haaland. Erling Haaland, by the way, scored a Zlatan-esque incredible goal. So he is what he is a major food group. But Messi and Ronaldo maintain it. This one, because Messi came off, didn't really want to get replaced. And PSG are victorious. We have to watch the PSG games every week. French League was... Uh, Lyon is... What a team. You think PSG is going to steamroll these squads. You look at the Lyon 11, you're like, oh, that's pretty solid. But these guys maintain the spotlight over and over again. It makes me think... We'll talk with Juan Arango in the business end. And Juan knows everything about everything, really. That's why he's a great guest. Happy to have him back a second time. We'll talk about uh, James Rodriguez and they're trying to, Everton's trying to jettison him anywhere. And this is a guy who was on top of the football world in 2014. He was on a level playing field with Ronaldo and Messi. But now he's, uh, he doesn't have a, really have a place to go. And he's made a lot of mistakes. And he's still a huge name. I mean, his social media following is right there with the, the other two. But, uh, He's got to fix some things. We'll see where he heads next. But that, I, just, I bring him up because it just shows you how hard it is to remain in the spotlight. Messi and Ronaldo do it, and it appears they'll be able to do it for a long time. Premier League, don't really talk about it a lot this week. As expected, Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester United victorious. Uh, They're pulling away from the peloton, so to speak. Manchester City will get it, although there's a lot of pressure now on Pep Guardiola. They need goals. Remember, they didn't get Harry Kane. What do they do now? Uh, they're going to have to be in pursuit here, certainly for the winter market. Uh, Brighton keep winning. And that's a nice story. What a fun team to watch, right? Trossard, a really good playmaker. Malpe and, and Danny Welbeck, he scored a goal. Pet peeve. I know the pronunciation of names and players is never going to be perfect. But I was watching that Brighton game, and the analyst kept saying, Cucurella. Cucurella. It's not how you say his name. And I understand we can't get everything right, but that one's uh, one you kind of have to. Cucurella. 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 Just Cucurella. Good player, by the way. So that was going on. Uh, European leagues, we'll, we'll get back into some more Champions League here shortly. We can talk a little bit about what we happened in round one. To me, all indicators are 
the heavy hitters will emerge. Manchester United slipped. And uh, we'll see what happens with Barcelona. But Bar's people were burying Barcelona. And there was, as if Messi's gone, this is terrible. But I will remind everyone that they've been pretty crappy in the Champions League for the last four years. And they lost to Bayern. Was it three zip? They lost to Bayern last time 8-2 with Lionel Messi. So I don't want to make it sound like it's just like this moment in sand, although Barcelona aren't the team that we saw last season. But they're not way off. They weren't great last season. This has been a process to where they're going. So as I'm recording this, Barcelona are going to be playing on a Monday. And uh, yeah, we're on a Monday this week. We'll get back to the Sunday, uh, as I mentioned earlier, to the Sunday late release. Big soccer story, really, of the weekend. And I got to sit down and watch the Emmys. And I really enjoyed the Emmys. Didn't get lectured all the time. I, I don't want to watch these award shows where it's constant lecturing and I feel guilty for some. It's It should be entertaining. And the Emmys kind of got back to that. They had that big song singing number to Bismarck. I thought that was great. Cedric the Entertainer uh, wouldn't be my first choice, but he'd be amongst the, the first choices. Good, solid choice for a host who's got the chops. Uh, it was uh, It was very festive. Good jokes. And uh, a sign of some normalcy with regards to the Hollywood uh, part of things that we are exposed to. And Ted Lasso, I don't remember the amount of of nominations, but it was 20-something, 29? I mean, in the supporting actor for a comedy series, they had four guys in there. Four dudes nominated. That's a lot. So everyone got nominated, and obviously they brought home a lot of wins. And congratulations, I want to say, to Brendan Hunt, who, uh, as I work for LAFC, he's a... A member, he's a supporter of the club. He's always there and happy to see one of ours uh, achieve this. And I'm happy for those folks. I couldn't even imagine the idea process for Ted Lasso, this promotional gimmick that they turned into a show. And now it's one of the most successful shows in recent memory, certainly with the haul that they had there. I enjoy the show. Um, I'm not as crazy about it as some other folks. I It's an easy watch for me. And I enjoy easy watches where I can sit down, I can just relax and and take it in. Um, I will say, <laughs> my Twitter timeline, people were, again, going off the deep end with this show. I, I, I appreciate it, but, you know, it's like, you know, thank goodness for Jason today because he's changed our lives forever, and I'm like, what? And, you know, it's, <laughs> he's been the, the biggest effect to American soccer than, uh, than anything recently, or whatever it was. I was like, what's going on? So there you have it. I'll call one of my my former guests here, Brian Denseth, who also tweets that he cries during the show. I actually texted him about that, and I said, I'm calling bullcrap on that. But there you go. Still good. It does bring some eyeballs to our sport. Uh, I'm a little leery about the anglification of everything we do. Uh, everything's very English. Uh, look, the crown and the actors and the personalities. You know, I'm American and I like my Ameri- I like my American content. I like a, he- a healthy balance in a perfect world. So we'll see what goes from here. But that's a, obviously a great achievement there for the, the entire team at Ted Lasso. And I, I'm, I'm sure they have, uh, they're working on season three and they'll probably have a season four, maybe even a season five. Uh, the soccer helps create that. And they got a very talented group of folks. All right, I'm going to get right into it. We have a nice conversation with Juan Arango about a great many things, including South America, including the Libertadores. We'll preview that a little bit. Obviously, Messi and Ronaldo. Stoppage time, I'll have a brief discussion about the golden generation, the current golden generation of the U.S. men's national team. Go over to my 
my YouTube account, Max Bretos, for the latest Soccer OG. I will delve in deeper on that topic and what lies ahead for the October qualifiers. We're back here. Time now for the business end, a man who's been here before. So I'm looking forward to a conversation. We have it all the time. I, Juan Arango joins me. And Juan, I was just thinking about the value. <laughs> I can hear your dog as well. And I, I love it. I love everyone's welcome on this on this podcast. She, she, she knows exactly when I'm on air doing an interview. You know that? Yeah, because we were chatting and there was no dog. I hit record. No, no. It, it happens all the time. Like I start, and all of a sudden you hear whether I'm inside, whether I'm outside. I'm outside right now because I'm enjoying the, the cold of South Florida in September. The cold? <laughs> it's 80, It's 81 degrees right now. So well, September is usually like, a, it's some of the worst months. So that's nice. You get a nice reprieve. Yeah. yeah. So every time she's like, she she sees me, she knows that I'm interviewing. I, I'm, I'm in the middle of an interview. She wants to interject. So yeah, she wants she to be in strong there. Opinions. She yeah. wants to be, you can represent her, you know, she can pet, <laughs> pet soccer takes. It's probably better than some of the takes we get from, uh, from the, of, the experts anyway. <laughs> better than some of my takes, to be honest. With you. <laughs> some of, my takes are dicey as well, but yeah. um, yeah, great to, great to chat with you again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I lost, I, it's um, a lot going on. And as always, yeah. I know you can talk about it. We were, we'll also talk about, South American World Cup qualifiers, Libertadores, because that's all coming back around and, and it's taking shape. But I was going to mention, uh, thank goodness for the uh, the text threads, because it's it's we have one going on. It's like six of us, and yeah. we we correspond every day on that. We complain, we we show stuff that's been going on, and uh, those things have given me some peace of mind by and large. It's good to have those. So thank you for that. Oh, you're talking about Renato Gaucho on, on, on Copacabana. Yeah. <laughs> he had a fan just sit on his lap casually. It's like, hey, you know, God bless him. You send me like what's happening in Argentina, like some video clips of what TYC or whatever's going on there. And uh, you can see oh, it uh, makes uh, the uh, world the feel a little smaller. The, the dogs running onto the pitch. And, and you, showed me the, you, you showed me the big rugby hit, which I posted uh, again because it was it's it's fun. And now I've had yeah, people that's, saying, is that's, that legal in rugby? I go, no. That's, that's third degree assault, man. <laughs> that's that's borderline manslaughter, that, that tackle. Oh, I love it. He just said, I'm going in for this, and that's it. End of story. Yeah. Uh, well, we always, we're always, so just to, I point that out because we're always talking about this sport. <laughs> and it is, it is, it's great to hear so many perspectives about what's happening not only here but in Europe and mm-hmm. what how it applies with South America because we're all connected. This is what makes this sport so fascinating is everyone mm-hmm. plays it and it's it is perceived differently, but it's all in some way connected in the big picture. And uh for instance, when we are we're doing the Sudamericana Libertadores and we'll talk about that. The semifinals are coming up is these guys end up in Europe and we kind of get a we get a, a bit of a head start to see what they're capable of doing. By the way, I was whatever happened, Moises Caicedo. I mean, he goes to Brighton. He cannot get on that team. I thought he would be. I thought he'd be the next big thing. We, we could talk about Ecuadorian football, but I always check the Brighton eleven, and Brighton are doing very mm-hmm. well. But he can never yeah. get in there, or rarely get on the bench. I don't know what the plan is, but I hope it ends well. Yeah, but but keep in mind, I mean, I mean, this is this is a player, and it was one of the things that I was worried about when I was when I was talking to people about Moisés Caicedo, that he's coming into a league where, I mean, he, 
he was able to manage play. He was able to, to play in his position very well. But then Ecuadorian football is not one that, that's known for speedy central midfielders. Players that can move around. There's a lot of space to roam. There's a lot of space. You don't have a lot of pressure. And you have two touches to be able to make a decision. It's an adaptation process in this case. I mean, a lot of times I'm, I'm critical of, of people that, that say, oh, you know, the, the Premier League and the, you know, all the other uh, things that they say about the Premier League. Have, there are times that they do need adjustment. That there, there is a, a, a time where younger players in particular, I mean, let's keep in mind he's 19 years of age, okay? And, and he hasn't been at this level of play on a consistent basis week in, week out in his career. Yes, he played Copa Libertadores. He's played in those types of tournaments where the demands do end up increasing. But he's never been in a league like the Premier League or La Liga or Serie A or any of those types of leagues where there's going to be a bit less space compared to Ecuadorian football. So, so it's something that he has to get adapted to and understand what his decision-making has to go through. I think it's going to be something that helps him out. But we also have to look at the fact that, is this the right team for him? Is this a team that's going to allow him to be able to grow on a consistent basis? And to be able to grow, you have to play. So was it the right fit? Did he end up leaving too soon? Which is another topic that would be interesting to delve into, although in a different episode, because sometimes I do believe that players in South America end up leaving a little too early. And he's on that edge where you might be saying, you know what, he might have been able to leave a little too early and not acquire the maturity necessary to be able to undergo such a different culture. If you talk about Ecuadorian culture and going to England and playing over there, it's quite a shock. So, so it's not only the adaptation that a player of his age has to make in, in a football, from a football sense, but also from a cultural sense, also from a language perspective that some players do have to go through and they haven't had that education. I mean, keep in mind. Yeah, that's a great point. We're dealing with kids, and he's still a kid, that was never exposed to another language, much less an education in some cases. I'm not saying that he's not educated. It's just that the education in some areas in, in Latin America and in, 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 in the Caribbean, too, aren't what many would expect. It, it, so, again, when we start looking at people, looking at it from a Premier League perspective, even from, a, from an American perspective, you're, you're comparing a 19-year-old kid that basically – was able to do the bare minimum in terms of getting an education, sometimes not even that in many cases, to a player in American sports, which is exposed to collegiate sports. Within that collegiate context, you have players that have been media trained, that are exposed to that type of thing, even going back to high school. So, so it's, it's a big culture shock when you have you know, microphones all over, cameras all over, and speaking in languages you, you've never even heard of or been able to be exposed to, it, it, it's a big shock. It is. <laughs> I love it. It's like so much going on. This is why I love my pod and the, the wonderful guests we have. Yeah. It's, we have, there's Messi go and PSG, Ronaldo, Manchester United, Pep, a little bit nervous at Man City. And we can start this pod with a free form yeah. on, on uh, <laughs> Ecuadorian football, which we will talk about in a little bit. Cause I think mm-hmm. it's an interesting topic yeah. with what's going there here shortly, but that's where we start Moses Caicedo, but I, we will pivot here to uh, I think the biggest, uh, the biggest story sort of under, not undercover, but a developing story with PSG. So they came back and they defeated Leon this weekend. So they're firmly in first place in the French league, which is good. Remember they didn't mm-hmm. win it last season. 
struggling a little bit in their first game in the Champions League. We'll have to wait and see. Anything but uh, a trophy in the Champions League will be viewed as a disappointment after bringing in this this super team, not just uh, Lionel Messi, but several new faces there that they hope puts them over the top. And it was always it was always for me that I thought this would struggle working. And so far it has to a smaller degree because they're hitting their spots. There's mm-hmm. no, you shouldn't have to panic that the Champions League that they didn't get the, the they dropped points in their first game. I, they'll, they'll they'll make it to the round of 16. They should. And mm-hmm. we'll, we can we revisit that there. But the idea of playing a team with Neymar, Mbappe, and Messi, and how would that look? Because they still give up some goals. That's a problem. They, they, the way, their way their midfield is set up, it gets a little bit disconnected with those three, which could be a problem. And this weekend, uh, 76th minute, Lionel Messi subbed out, gave a long look to Mauricio Pochettino as he walked off. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, you figure this is going to happen. I think this is an almost untenable situation for Pochettino, however he handles it. It's going to be a lot of sleepless nights to make mm-hmm. sure all the superstars are happy. And remember, Mbappe, you probably have to think, had one foot out the door. He was ready to go to Real Madrid, and he will probably end up going next season uh, on a free. So when he's out of contract, but it's a waiting game for Real Madrid, who are doing okay. They're not the super club you would expect, and certainly Mbappe could help transform them a bit. But looking at PSG, I have my doubts that this is going to work out to the premium level that they would like. I think you have a, a really good team. You have a team that people mm-hmm. will tune into. You have a club that's going to sell a ton of merchandise around them. But will they win the French League? Yes, I think so. Even though I like some of these clubs, I see Marseille still bubbling around the top. I like their team. Will they win the Champions they look, League? They, I they think looked good yesterday. They, they did. Looked, they, they did. They, they looked even good Lyon. Yesterday. I enjoyed watching Lyon, even though they ended up losing that. Mm-hmm. By Mauro Icardi scoring a goal. So here's a guy who goes, I want some playing time. He's a classic mm-hmm. number nine. He's different than those front three. So that's going to make things even more interesting. But uh, the French teams are – there's a couple bubbling. I, I, I'm really curious about what happens with Nice, with uh, their, their yes. revival, so to speak. But as it applies for PSG and the Champions League, I just don't see it happening. The question is how far can they go? I hope that people are kind to them. If they make a semifinal, I think that would be incredible. But they'd have to win it for it to be viewed anything yeah. other than a success. Because they've already been there. I mean, the, the semifinal, they were Semi there. in a final, yeah. And they were already in the final time before that. So, I mean, yeah, the measuring stick, that is their measuring stick. It's always been their measuring stick, the Champions League. Uh, uh, the league title is kind of an afterthought until they don't win it, like case in point last year. I mean, look, look at Lyon's lineup. Anthony Lopez in goal. You have Jerome Boateng, Emerson Palmieri, Denier, Gusto, Sherdan Shakiri, Bruno Guimaraes, Lucas Paqueta. Strong. Islam Slimani. I mean, you're, it, I mean, people make it sound like they played – this whole adage about oh you know the French league is a farmers league. That team is not a farmers league team. No. Let's 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 be straight up honest with that. And I think I think that that's it's more about denigrating the opponent that PSG was playing instead of saying hey you know they played a tough Lyon team. Yeah, a team that a couple. It was of a great game. Ago, I wa- I watched yeah. most of it and it was really entertaining. Both teams. Yeah, great stretches of play. It yes. felt like a, a it felt like a big game in any other league that we would get yeah. hyped over, whether it's Messi the Premier League, the Bundesliga, City. Yeah, yeah, Messi had his chances too. It's not like it, I mean, 
Messi standard, he wasn't up to par, but he had his opportunities. He hit the crossbar once. Many are criticizing Mauricio Pochettino for substituting him out, but look who he brought in. And I just wanted to bring this up because I, there, there were certain things that, that I, I had forgotten about it, but when you start to have the notes there on the side, Ashraf Hakimi, Ashraf Hakimi comes on, Mauro Icardi comes on, <laughs> Hakimi replaces Messi, Icardi replaces Di Maria, and Jorginho Vignaldum ends up replacing Ander Herrera. All three had an impact in the game. You, you've got to have, you have a bench that can impact it. You're yeah. a very deep club. So you'd be naive to not yeah. hand it, it over a- to those guys in a pinch, which they needed a response and they got it. But as a coach, you still have to give Pochettino credit because the three substitutions that he made made an impact. I mean, Hakimi, as soon as he came in, opened the game a bit more for PSG. Obviously, Icardi score, uh, scoring the game-winning goal. Uh, I mean, Hakimi, on one end, ends up complimenting Mbappé because, obviously, the defense can't just pay attention to one side compared to the other. You have to keep Hakimi very well-checked. That, that's, that's important, too. Vignaldo ends up giving uh, a bit more push in the middle or a bit more presence in the middle. Of course, why is it? Because you take Messi out. It's a ballsy move, but it's something that a coach has to do. It's something that, hey, you know what? It's not working. And fine, you know, you bring, you know, and, and it, it's kind of a taboo thing to do to bring out Leo Messi. He wasn't playing horribly, mind you, but he wasn't playing. Uh, he wasn't a major difference maker at this at that point in the match. So you bring in your substitutions and you got to give Pochettino credit. He read the game appropriately. The yeah. thing is that he made the ballsiest of ball ballsiest moves <laughs> and taking out taking out Leo Messi. Now Lionel Messi's there, not going to want to sit out. He's not going to want to come no, out games. But it but, and unfortunately it worked for him. And I think he's going to have to get used to that because and whatever is going to happen, someone's going to come out of that game. And there's going to be games where not all three of them can start. I don't think there's going to be feasible for many. You're right, but Max, which player in the world wants to get subbed off unless it's getting subbed off because of injury or getting subbed off because he's getting uh, about to get an ovation? No, I don't. I don't know of a player saying, "Well, yeah, okay, fine." I'll, yeah, yeah. I oh, but if I get an ovation, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, you know, 85th minute, you just scored a hat trick. Game's pretty much over. Sure, fine. You know, and the entire stadium gets up and, and, and applauds you and says, "Man, it's whatever." You know, Max, Max, Max. You know, yeah, you want. That's the way you want to leave. You don't want to leave in the middle of a match. It's one-one or, or, or one-nil that you're losing, and you know that you can make a difference still. No, I don't. I don't. I haven't seen the player. I haven't seen a player in the world that that says, "Okay, yeah, sure, why not?" I mean, he's a competitive beast, just like Ronaldo was kind of upset at Ole Gunnar Solskjaer the other day when he gets subbed off. And of course, Oof. that move backfired completely. Yeah, that one did. So, yeah. It's uh, that one in the, against young boys. You're right. It, it, yeah. If they, they fixed it a little bit in in this game, we can pivot there towards Cristiano Ronaldo because. Mm-hmm. The, it, it really is a fascinating development. The superstar a player, and this is this is superstar to another level. And we've seen the mm-hmm. impact that Messi has had at PSG and uh, the engagement for the club, the eyeballs. I mean, this is an event now when you, you see these PSG games for a league that was hoping was apparently going to go through uh, a major transition that May was going to. It's never viewed as the top league like the Premier League, mm-hmm. La Liga, and then the next tier to the Bundesliga 
Serie A, and then you get the yeah. French League. But now this, it gives it a huge boost. And some other things, as we pointed out with these clubs, like Marseille and Lyon being competitive, make it an appealing product. But it's this manager with player, and it's Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and now Cristiano Ronaldo, which I don't mm-hmm. feel uh, as... I don't feel as nervous for Solskjaer as I do with Pochettino in the big picture because I guess he he has the three superstars he has to deal with at all different levels of of where they're at and with Mbappe who 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 does come back but maybe by the skin of his teeth after PSG mm-hmm. said no to this monumental Real Madrid offer but he has Cristiano Ronaldo I, I feel like Cristiano can collaborate a little bit more but also he I mean, we were going all right who's how is this lineup going to start? Now you've seen Edison Cavani. He's buried on that raw. He, he's probably not mm-hmm. going to get a lot of minutes. Mm-hmm. Jesse Lingard somehow has benefited. He's gotten in there, but Ronaldo's come in and he has been plopped at the front of the attack from the jump. Yeah. He has started every game. And now uh, it's, it's gotten some good results. Obviously the young boys result not pertaining to that, but league wide yeah. they've done well and he has scored in every game. So it's been so far a great run, but there's so many attacking options there too. How do you keep folks developed? The younger players like Greenwood and Rashford, Bruno Fernandez is obviously locked down. Cavani is going to be the odd man out for now. We'll see if that may, that continues here, but they'll have a lot of fixtures, but how does it all work? I'm, I'm more, I I've been really, I've been pleasantly surprised how, because I know having Ronaldo join your team comes with some baggage, whatever that might be, but I haven't felt it so much. And it's been a nice seamless transition. And obviously the the club loves him and he loves it. And he scores and he points to the shirt and it's all well. So I get the feeling that might grow a little better, but there's going to be situations where Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is going to have to make a substitution. And the, the young boys one was, fa- I mean, both these moments, you saw Messi walk off, didn't really high five oh. Pochettino, but with with Ronaldo kind of came off when he was subbed, but Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was having this dialogue saying, "Hey, this is why I'm doing it." Yada yada yada. He patted him on the butt, patted him on the butt again. Hey, it's all cool. It was it was very nervous watching that exchange. But he was, still wasn't convinced. Yeah, perhaps <laughs> yeah, you sure? he, had, he needed are some sure? explaining. Yeah, are, are you really sure that that's what you want to do? Okay, fine, whatever. That's got to be but, tough for these managers. But but, it, but outside of that. I mean, we talked about everything that he's been able to do on the pitch. The mentality of certain players has changed off of it. The way they take care of themselves. Ever since Ronaldo's come in, he's actually changed a lot of things in terms of dietary contributions, in terms of uh, self-care. Many players have already started to be influenced by, you know, in terms of self-care, I think he's the extreme. (laughs) But still, it's a good example to follow, not just from a football standpoint, but from a, a, a lifestyle perspective as you get older. And, and that's what's been the difference. I mean, if, if he still was taking care of himself now, the way he was taking care of himself at 20, 26, I don't think he'd still be playing, to be quite honest with you. He's been able to amp, to ramp it up. I, I remember uh, hearing an interview with, with the guy that he really literally worked with in order just to train his sleep. I mean, Ronaldo sleeps two hours, you know, in, in two hour, you know, two hours, you know, four times a day, something along those lines, in order to be able to rest as best as possible. But let's just keep that in mind. Also, the foods that he eats and things of that nature. Of course, he'll have the occasional beer. It is, is social. Of course, we saw the Euros that he. No Coca Cola though. No, 
whatever. That's that's BS. He does. <laughs> and he's even said, yeah, I have the occasional beer, but it's not something that dominates his life. It's not like players 20, 30 years ago who would, you know, come pissed drunk to the game and they perform like great, you know, like, like, like gods. George <laughs> that's Best. the way that it works. Yeah, exactly. I mean, sometimes he didn't know he was playing and he played great. And he that's still is great. great. Yeah. He's still great. I'm always, I'm always fascinated by that too. When you see these guys yeah. that can overcome that. And that's why I love Maradona. Cause of all his flaws, his Ooh. party lifestyle, he would come to the games and he would deliver. Yeah. And he, some, and there was times that he said he didn't remember playing. <laughs> so, I mean, I digress a little bit, but that's been his influence on the team already. And, and we have, we've seen that. With PSG, it's it's kind of similar, but Messi, of course, is, is not that much of an advocate in terms of, of saying, hey, this is the way you have to do things. This is the way I do it, therefore you should too. No, he's like, hey, you do your thing, I do mine. You know, you do have a, another player very similar to, to that in Sergio Ramos. Of course, he's been injured, but in terms of personality, boy, that is a guy that you want in, in the dressing room, even when he's injured, because he's he can, he can set now when he starts playing in, in these important matches, I want to see his level of play, but I also want to see his personality come in and be an influence in the dressing room as well. So, so it's a little bit of everything. The thing is that we're giving May critiques in September. And what I mean by, I mean by that is we're already talking about how we would be talking about and analyzing teams in the month of May when all the trophies are being given out to people that are just starting out a season that have only been there pretty much three weeks, if that. They've been more with their national team in the past couple of weeks, and they will be with their national team more than they will be with uh, their club in the next couple of weeks. And we're giving these critiques about the end, you know, that are more end of the season related than they are beginning of the season related. Yeah, your dog doesn't did not like that take. Did not like. Oh that no, take. she doesn't like Sergio Ramos. <laughs> I don't know why. But I gotta say, to your point, like we's we've seen it with Ronaldo and Sergio Ramos is etched out of a rock uh, with his fitness. These players are all going to play a lot longer than you would have expected in years past. And they're all taking better care of themselves. And I love it. It's in every sport, every sport yeah. guys in their mid thirties touching 40 and they could still produce, they could still score a goal. They could still save a shot. They could, they could do a job for you. And I think Ronaldo and Messi, we, we're going to have them for a, a little bit longer, five years at a, at a good level, possibly. Yeah. Uh, maybe not the level they had, but it's like the dip hasn't been low. I mean, even just a week ago, the two players that were making the biggest impact and they both did it for their national team. Messi was fantastic with Argentina in qualifiers. Ronaldo also delivered for Portugal. And then they come to the clubs and they kind of do the same thing. It's just, they're, they're still setting the narrative. So it's good for us because yeah. of yeah. what we're talking and, about. And with PSG, you also have to say, Oh, look, we also, we, we bought Ashraf Hakimi. And look at the difference that he made today. That, that, again, you, you, you pointed those types of things. Hey, look, yeah, okay, Messi was okay. But Hakimi was great coming off the bench. X player was doing well. Mbappe was being booed and jeered at one point. Guess who sets up the assist for Icardi? He does. So it's a lot. And, and mind you, guess who the player was that, that stepped up and started, hey, we have to improve as a team. Nobody, we haven't, not even I've talked about this, but, but now that I recall it, the player after the match has spoke in the PSG win and saying, hey, we have to be better. I have to be a better player. I have to be a better leader. You know who it was? Neymar. Yeah. He's kind of, he's maintained it. It was, it was interesting also. He took the penalty. 
He took the penalty because yeah. we all go, who's going to take who's going to take this penalty? No, he's like, give me. It, it, this is what I get paid for. Yeah, I, I think, think he's he, he he really is the key. He's got to keep it together because he asked yeah. for Messi to come here. And Bappe, yeah. possibly a bit checked out. Neymar's the guy who's got to keep it. So this is uh, Mauricio Pochettino will be eternally grateful if he can get that assist from Neymar. Yeah. But and, and and Neymar realized at this point of his career saying, OK, fine, I might never be Messi, but. I will never be what I can be without him. So, I mean, so, so it, it's also accepting, Hey, I can't do it without this guy. Let's bring him in. And sure. I can maximize myself. I could benefit out of it as well, obviously, but my team maximizes and, and benefits even more with him than, than him by himself at Barcelona and me here. And him, he would probably at this point, seeing how Barcelona was playing, he would just be withering away, rotting away or, and even withering and rotting away, he'd probably still be the leading goal scorer for Barcelona year in and year out. Sure. It's uh, the reason I think we, we, we we're, we're hasty with these decisions. These are two very high pressure posts. And if either one of them go into a rut, more so PSG, I think, where they maybe say they don't win in three or four games, it could be the end. That's how if they see something systematically that's not working, and if players are unhappy, it's not going to be a long, a long leash by any means for these. Keep managers. in mind too, yeah. Keep in mind too that it's it's a very tough Champions League group that they're in. Yeah. So any little slip up, they can't afford any any slip up, and they're playing Europa League. So, what a draw that, that would be. <laughs> yeah, it would be. It would be. I, I'm going to transition I, a bit. I'm going to transition a bit because I want to talk about the South American qualifiers because they're I think they're mm-hmm. very interesting as well, but. It looks like FIFA is going to begin the push for that biennial World Cup. I've been telling people once it keeps coming up and it keeps coming up over and over again and people go, it'll never happen. I go, look, if FIFA keeps bringing it up and they start getting support and they are and it's going to happen. So I'm preparing myself for that. So I'm getting used to the idea of a World Cup every two years. At first, I wouldn't like it because I'm a traditionalist and I always remember the World Cups as a moment in time. And, and the way I can tell time in my life is World Cups every four years. You know, yeah. going back to the first one, I really watched uh, in depth, 1986. Yeah, that's why I'm the soccer OG. I'm very old. And then remembering 1990 and 1994, obviously. And then these ones that come along and doing that every two years, it's going to take a little of the shine off, but I'll get used to it. And I, I see the, the calendar. And if look, if they can clear the calendar and Arsene Wenger and some of the folks in charge of this situation seem to feel that they can alleviate some excess games because we need to protect the players. The players have got yes. the, what I've seen the last few weeks is insanity where it, they went from summer tournaments with their national team club back to uh, the national team, back to their league, then Champions League. It's crazy. It's too mm-hmm. much. And someone's yeah. going to collapse. But we got to protect these guys. And if they can clear some of those calendars and we kind of focus on the meat and potatoes of big competitions, if that means a couple less Copa Americas, maybe another less Gold Cup, maybe mm-hmm. no the Nations League, this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. then I'm, I'm starting to warm up to the idea. I'm like, bring it on. And maybe the Euros in the Copa America. And I always dream of a combined American tournament. Does the same I, every two years. And we go bang, bang, bang. I'm kind of digging the idea all of a sudden. What say you, Juan? I mean, I, I, from a work standpoint, I'm always going to say yes. Of course, for selfish reasons, yeah, absolutely. Keep playing. Go, 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 go. Go. Uh, Till you're a nub. Go. But, but 
let's take CONCACAF, okay? The purpose, or at least the mission statement of CONCACAF in terms of doing the, the, the whole Nations League uh, premise was to be able to obviously not just give a, another platform for Mexico, U.S., uh, Costa Rica, et cetera, et cetera, to, to shine and be able to contend for trophies. But it's also to, to bring the bottom of the food chain up a little bit more. You know, the, the teams that are in League C to be able to get more money and be able to develop their programs and be able to travel and have competitive case in point. When I, I remember back in 2019, when I had done, I had done some um, Nations League games. I remember doing Bahamas. I think it was Bahamas, but or something like that. Bahamas hadn't played an international match in four years. The last time that they played was back in 2015. They played two matches. That was it. So it's very hard to develop a game in, in a region like CONCACAF, in a region like Oceania, in a region like Africa. I'm talking about the bottom, you know, the, the bottom rung, the middle of the table type of teams in those regions when you have that. Now, if you take a competition like the Nations League out, what happens to the development of, of those Leagues and again, the big I, I picked Concacaf because what what do we always say? In, ah, it's Mexico and the U.S. and whatever, you know, and thirty nine other places that really are irrelevant, save for Costa Rica and in Panama and in Honduras. That's it. When Gold Cup comes around, ah, it's Mexico and the U.S. and that's it. If you take away competitions that are developing, then what's the purpose of it? Everything that you've tried to work for, you're, these these FAs aren't earning money. You take away a gold cup from, and of course, a gold cup's kind of different because a gold cup's more biennial. But let's say if a gold cup was every four years or Copa America, you're taking money away from those FAs. That is their money maker in, in terms of national teams. So that's why Conmebol is so against a a, a, um, a, a two year world, you know, a biennial World Cup. That's why UEFA and even the German FA the other day came out and said they're they're against a a, a biennial World Cup. Keep in mind also who Arsene Wenger works for. And that's the reason why they're pushing it and they're trying, hey, Arsene, make sure that you bring your points across. FIFA's doing that. The survey that they put out the other day, oh, yeah, you know, it's overwhelmingly being supported. They're pushing it. Now, <coughs> excuse me, whether you're for or against is kind of irrelevant because they're going to try and push the agenda forward, you know, whether, whether, whether they have support or not. I mean, it happened with that. 2018 World Cup. Many people were against it, but at the end of the day, exactly we got done. Through. So, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you and I think. It's what they want to do and where they see that the money's going. Now, if you have a biennial World Cup, does that mean they're going to have 64 teams? What happens to qualifying? Is it going to be one month? Yeah, the qualifying. Yeah. yeah. Well, I would say, look, if they can get if they can get some resistance from the Americas or other parts of the world, not Europe then it, it, this getting pushed through has a shot because they obviously the Europeans, they have a, they have a world cup every two years. It's called the euros. And yeah. it's, I mean, it, it, when the euros and the world cup, they have these huge money-making competitions. And what happened this last time, that's only going to get bigger because it was a world cup in my eyes. Yeah. That final was yeah. as good of a world cup final that we've seen in many, many editions. So they're in good shape. So they're going to push back, but it's, if, if there is some, resistance in CONCACAF or CONMEBOL, then they're going to hit a snag. Yeah, it's already, CONMEBOL's already been, you know, been against it. 
obviously remember that the Palma Bowl and UEFA are hand in hand. They're both very, very close in their partnership and, and in their in the relationship. But I, I get the money part and, and building their FAs. It's huge. And they'll still have Copa Americas. But yes, I for me and I, I, I obviously there's going to be some some damage along the ways for. FAs like the Bahamas, who will never be able mm -hmm. to reach any kind of level and will not be able to de develop the game. But I don't know if we can wait around for that in so many cases because it as you, it's it's so rare that they've done it. I don't maybe there's a different apparatus we yeah. can get to see we can build it. But from USA, Mexico, <clears throat> I'll throw Canada in here. South mm -hmm. America too to play a World Cup every two years is going to help your your level. Uh, the Europeans have pulled away. We've seen that in the last World Cup. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was like six out of eight quarterfinalists, all four semifinalists were Europe. I, I, I tend to think that's going to keep going, although having a World Cup in Qatar evens the playing field a little bit. So, mm -hmm. But I think as the big FAs, if they want to compete with Europe and the gap might grow, they need a World Cup every two years. More in USA, Mexico, because the Nations League doesn't really help them because they're playing Panama yeah. and Costa Rica. Yeah, but, but with South America, it's not about playing a World Cup every two years that's going to improve them. It's being able to manage the game better that's going to improve them. If, if sure. you have more competent entities within their, the respective FAs, with, you have better decision-making. You have, at, even at the club level, because everything is pretty much a domino effect of what's going on, we see it with Copa Libertadores and with uh, Sudamericana, some teams that you know, they struggle to make ends meet. So you have to have better administration at that level in order for everything to be sounder, you can't have, let's say, you know, a 19 year old or an 18 year old that played two or three matches for your team in South. And I'm sorry, I talk, of course, in South America, they play two or three matches and all of a sudden anyone in Europe wants to pay two million euros. They, they go away. And also the kid is no longer heard from, you know, his careers either ends up sinking or swimming. He ends up, ends up being at best a halfway decent player that ends up coming back and maybe playing in Mexico or a player that ends up not even being able to play a game of football after that. So, I mean, it's all, it's all a lot of other things. It's not about playing a world cup every two years. That's going to make South America more competitive. Once again, it's, it's getting people that are competent in these, in these positions in FA positions at, at the development level that are going to do that. And that's been the big problem. Again, the, FA that's doing probably the best in terms of that, or at least getting the right people or the people that are capable right now, there, there's two that come to mind. It's Uruguay and Argentina. You start to see who's in charge of, of, of the youth project in Argentina. It's Javier Mascherano. You start seeing Pablo Aymar. You start seeing Walter Samuel players that have been there and are very, very didactical. Uh, th those are some of the difference makers. It's not going to be playing a world cup every two years because I mean, we see it even at the youth level Th does does playing a World Cup every two years make the U.S. under 20s better? Yeah. Maybe. maybe, maybe not. We should, that it's, it it's it's all going to come out. Yeah, I, it's the the progress of the sport, mm -hmm. the the direction it's going. Yeah. Um, it, it, I, I'm curious to see. I I, mm -hmm. I I I hate to go to the point back where we're like we regret it and we're sitting here going, man, this world cup every four years was, was good. And we were developing yeah. it nicely in between, but I don't really see that either. I don't know if it's the, the regular calendar is blowing me away in, in a, in a certain way, but it, the youth, yeah, the, 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 
the the future generations are the ones we need to protect. So it'll be I'm curious. This is happening all very fast, though, as I see it from Mm -hmm. this perspective. The good news, Juan, is the next World Mm -hmm. Cup. It's still the traditional every four years, 32 teams in Qatar. And I go go back with Qatar and Qatar. It's going to drive me mental. So how do you say it? Qatar. Qatar. That's how that's how that's That's how how Colombianos say it. Qatar. No, 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 no. I wish I wish I could (laughs) give that. No, it's it's like uh, the the Q sounds like a G. Qatar. Qatar. Very good. I'm going with that from this point hey, forward. Hey, I, I, don't shoot the messenger, please. Don't shoot him. Okay. That's, but, that's what one of my friends, that's what... Um, I've heard it said 800 different times. It's driving me bananas. <laughs> I trust me. I will too. So, uh, well, let's talk about a little bit because the World Cup qualifiers, I, by yeah. the way, in Europe, all the big nations, the, the top 20 nations are all in front in their group. Mm-hmm. Italy, France... Belgium, England, etc. All of them are on target. It's still very early to qualify. <laughs> South America, which I want to talk to you about. By the way, in, in CONCACAF, very early. But it would be Mexico, mm-hmm. USA, and Canada qualifying directly, mm-hmm. which would be great. Mm-hmm. You know, you Canadians have this, this new run of talent. Uh, and then in South America, as it stands, and they have played eight, no, most have played nine games. Brazil and Argentina haven't because they're one that was suspended, which uh, is a is another discussion. I don't know if we have enough time for that. Gosh, hey, whatever you need me for. <laughs> well, I want to let's we'll accentuate the, the the positive a bit, but the five <laughs> teams, the five teams in the World Cup positions, you include fifth, which would go to a playoff. But I think whoever finishes fifth is going to win their playoff game. They'll be the favorites anyway. Brazil first, Argentina, Uruguay, Ecuador, Colombia. To me, those are the five South American teams. If you want to have the strongest performance in a World Cup, those are the five you want. All due respect to Paraguay, Peru, Chile, Bolivia, and Venezuela. Paraguay might be the one that if they could make it would be interesting because I I think they're in the ascension. Peru kind of in flux. Chile's golden generation fading. And then Bolivia and Venezuela are just where are there. They're where they usually are. Mm -hmm. One day that may change. But Brazil's already almost qualified. Eight wins. Argentina with the Copa America and did a, had a really nice window. They're second at 18 points. And then Uruguay did well. Ecuador did well. And then Colombia have gotten results. I hope those are the five that go in there because they're all compelling. And I, I, we talked about Ecuador and Moises Caicedo. It's a, really something that you have to pay attention with the players that they are developing. Yeah. The, the clubs are doing so well uh, on regularly in the Libertadores and Sudamericana, they're making inroads. Barcelona of Ecuador is in the semifinal. We saw Independiente del Valle win a South American Cup. Liga de Quito is there. There's enough good. Delfin. I mean, they've they're all had a, an, an impression here at some point. Delfin in your favorite city in Ecuador, Manta. Well, we're, that's where I'm, I'm moving to, right? We're going to move down yes, there. Yes, 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 yes. Get a little more bang for our bucks, which is, like you said, they, they take American currency there. They use American currency. Well, it, it is American currency. <laughs> See, it's like we're, we're, it's it's there are brothers in South America. Yeah. <laughs> but I, this South, the South American group, I think, is is very compelling. They've had to they've had to shoehorn these games in here to get them done. But they've done it with one exception. And I don't know that's that's a good five teams to uh, to help South America plant their flag, hopefully in Qatar, Qatar as. <laughs> 
to bring it back because we 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 why, need. Why don't you just use, why don't you just use all the use all the pronunciation? I know. You know just I'm just out of to control. Cover all your bases. Okay, yeah, just do that. <laughs> I I see a group of teams and the players are getting better that will make South America a force in Qatar. There you go. Maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, I mean, you know what? It, it's so strange because we don't know how any of these teams are going to be coming in. Come, I mean, we're still, what is it, 15 months away or 14 months away, I should say. So we don't know if how, how those teams are going to be coming in. You know, who's going to be the friend? I mean, it's, it's no longer who's the best team. I mean, and we saw that and we learned that lesson in France or in France winning the World Cup. They, were they the best team? Probably not. But they were the most consistent. Yeah. They were the one that understood what they played and, and knew that they are who were able to adjust best in, in certain situations, I guess. In ter- I mean, Brazil, you could make an argument that Brazil next month could qualify for the World Cup. Yeah. If, if Paraguay, I think if Paraguay lose... They're 13 or, or points even, ahead of Paraguay yeah. in sixth, which would put, it, be the team that knock them out. Yeah, so so they have nine. That'd be 27, 38. Let's say they lose. So yeah, they, they could be. Yeah, you could say that if Paraguay lose two matches and Brazil run the table, Brazil qualify automatically for the World Cup. Or at least I, I should hold on. Let me let me rephrase that. And Brazil that would be and that would be great qualify. for Brazil because then you don't have to call them all in for these games in 2022 yes and no. in March. Yes and, and no. Yes, yes, I know. Yeah, yes, it right. is. Yeah, yeah. Yes and no. I mean, you're absolutely right. I agree with you, but I also have to add that okay. You don't have to bring them in, but you still have to start. You're a year away. You should at least have an idea of what your team's going to be and sure. give them enough reps prior to the World Cup. So, I mean, timing is everything, especially now. You know, how are you going to operate things? And I think that Tiche has that down as of right now. He knows basically what his team is. Can you look at other options? Absolutely. I, I, I would think that they should, or he should, and, and be able to, to give Neymar an occasional rest. See how his team plays without him in certain situations. Hey, you know, uh, you know, uh, how, how can, how can they play without Everton Ribeiro and, and without Roberto Firmino and, and, and certain players without Casemiro? What do you put in the middle? But to me, Casemiro is more important than Neymar, to be honest with you. So, so what do you do? So yeah, it, it, it's, it's a little bit of both, but you have to also keep a very fine balance when you qualify so early in the process. Yeah. It's a, uh, but look, I, I, I'm conf- I'm, I'm hopeful of these South American teams as you said, Chiche has is, is, is got this group going. He has depth in a lot of positions, and they have scored 19 goals and allowed two in a very difficult qualifying mm-hmm. process. Lionel Scaloni mm-hmm. wins the Copa America. I think Argentina have found a way to accentuate Messi and protect him in a game, which will make them a tough out as well, much tougher than we would have seen them in Russia. Yes. Yes, uh, yes. And maybe kind of going, you know, maybe going back a little bit to what they saw in the, the 2014 World Cup. So I think Argentina will be improved. And, and then Uruguay, Ecuador, Colombia, all capable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean you, you could see Ecuador, if they get it together, they could make they can make some type of a run getting out getting out of a group stage. Colombia could do that, although we'll see where James Rodriguez is going to be in the next couple of hours. Supposedly he's going to the UAE. <laughs> but the, I, they can move I, I, on I, without him, no? I mean, they've They're got it. They've done well without him, and they could say, him. "Sorry, this is our team." They're better without him, and I'm very curious now. Although Colombia's pretty deep up top, how Falcao is going to play at Ryan? What coming in? And that, that's another player. Scored a goal this weekend. Up. He looks good yes. in that shirt, by the way. <laughs> he looks good. He loves Madrid, and 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 he he's a leader. 
he is, I mean, he's a consummate professional, unlike Hamas. That's been Hamas's, that's been his Achilles heel. He likes the nightlife too much. He likes women too much. <laughs> he likes too many it's women. It's okay. You can much. like women, but you've got to prioritize football. That's all we ask. <laughs> well, especially if you're married at one point. But that's <laughs> that too. That too. Yeah. yeah. He, he, he sounded, he, he is, I mean, I was watching the Ric Flair documentary for like the seventh time. And I could have sworn at certain points that I, that I was listening to James Rodriguez talk. But anyway. I, that's I'll, a, I'll, that's I'll a good quiet. one. That's a good one, by the way. Uh, everything good in Brazil. Let's we'll, we'll wrap it up here with the uh, the yeah. Libertadores because it almost ended up four Brazilian teams in the semifinals. Mm-hmm. Barcelona of Guayaquil. Thank you for doing that because I don't want to. I don't like it when it's all the, from one country. The, the reason you have this is so you can see the best from every country. No Argentine yeah. teams. They are really struggling in this spectrum when they were so dominant just a few years earlier. And Ecuador is kind of really pushing forward thanks to Barcelona, who look like a team I think that could win it. They'll be taking on Flamengo. And then you have Palmeiras and Atletico Mineiro. And we've been following this team. And you haven't watched Brazilian football. I know many of you have not. But those three Brazilian teams, so impressive in their own right throughout this competition. And Palmeiras is the reigning champions. I would tend to think they would win it. I'm just so impressed with their squad. Flamengo have become this, uh, they won it a couple years ago, and now they're bringing in big names after big names to go with like Gabi Gol and Arascaeta, who's this incredible Uruguayan midfielder. And then Atletico Mineiro, they've just got endless pockets, right? No? Hulky, they bring in Hulk. They bring in um, Fernandez from Real Madrid. Uh, Eduardo Vargas. They bring all these heavy hitters, and it's worked out for them. So, I mean, this is... This is going to be a titanic clash because you're seeing the Libertadores and you are seeing top tier teams. So how do you think this, how do you think this unfurls here from the semis in the final? Oh man, it's going to be, it's going to be awesome to watch, to be honest with you. Uh, I mean, you have, as you mentioned, the the reigning champ in in Libertadores, the reigning league champ in the reigning two-time champ in Brazil in Flamengo, the actual team that's in first place right now in Alecico Minero, in my opinion, the best team in South America right now. Atletico. That's saying something. Yeah, yeah. Atletico Mineiro is probably the best team in, in all of South America right now. Uh, Flamengo, I I had my doubts with with um, with uh, you know with Renato Gaúcho when 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 he was sacked at Grêmio, but then you realize that he was doing what he could with what he had at Grêmio. There there wasn't a great deal of investment. There was a lot of speculation as to who was coming in. At one point, they said, yeah, Cavani's coming. Like, Cavani was coming to, like, seven different Brazilian clubs and Boca. Uh, Flamengo looks good. Talk about Danny Alves maybe going to, to Flamengo, although uh, Danny Alves Jeez. already said in the past that, that he wasn't willing to go to any other club in Brazil. Oh, wait, it wasn't so David well. Luis also rumored to be going? He's already, he's he's already, already there. The he's already there. I mean, this is like the heavy hitters of Brazilian football yeah, the last 10 yeah, years on these clubs. Yeah. Yeah, so so so, and, and of course the talk of Danny Alves is because Mauricio Isla isn't playing well, and, and Mauricio Isla is the starting right back for the Chilean national team, <laughs> and, and he used to play for Juventus at one yeah. point. By the way, and that's part yeah. of these Brazilian teams is they've recruited so well outside of South America. It's not just Brazilian players, and that yeah. wasn't always so ubiquitous back in the day. But now they're doing it, and they, these guys are hitting it. And playing in Brazil comes with a lot of clout. Yeah, you have you have you have Matias Saracho, who who back in 2019 was the best player in Argentine football when he helped Racing win the title. 
You have uh, Jefferson Soteldo, or excuse me, not Soteldo, uh, Savarino, sorry, uh, former Real Salt Lake player. So you're going to have another player that was an MLS or played in MLS ending up in a team that is at least going to a Copa Libertadores semifinal. They could get to the final. Last year it was Jefferson Soteldo, so who I can't find out for, for the life of me. Maybe it's just Toronto sucks really bad. Oh, man, is what that- a bad scene. <laughs> Bad scene. Yeah. He went to Toronto and that club is falling apart. I don't know. Yeah. Not a good situation. Yeah. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. And, and he was a candidate as my as the garbage truck passes by alongside the trains on the other end. Look <laughs> <laughs> like, what's this? Uh, Thomas the train over there? Tidman yeah, Sheds? No, no, no. It was uh, Thomas the trash, the, the, the trash truck. <laughs> <laughs> it's his cousin. Uh, so, I mean, Saracho, you have Nacho Fernandez who comes over from River. And Nacho Fernandez, as soon as he left River, they never found a replacement for him or never could find a player of his caliber to, to fill in his shoes. And you see it. Uh, as I mentioned, Savarino, who's been incredible. Junior Alonso, who comes in. He's the actually it's kind of in, in less than a span of a year. Junior Alonso went from going to Boca, from playing for Boca to going to Alecico Mineiro to becoming the captain of Alecico Mineiro. So that wow. says a lot. Uh, Gabriel, Gabriel Gomez at Palmeiras, the best Paraguayan defender. Yes. It's like they're all over yes. this. Yes. But it, it's money. I mean, it, 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 we, we, of course, when you talk about it in, in the Premier League and how the Premier League has been able to encapsulate the best talent and at the expense of the other leagues, of course, who are going through their certain trials and tribulations economically, they've been able to take advantage. Same thing has happened in Brazil, maybe to a less, lesser extent in terms of money but to a greater vast reach because the gap between Brazil and everyone else is greater than what the Premier League has in terms of a gap between them and the next most competitive league in Europe. So that's why Brazil is starting to monopolize. It's the first time ever that Brazil has the a country, forget Brazil or whatever, whatever flag is there. First time a country has three semifinalists in the Copa Libertadores. Five of the teams that are in, the, in, in both competitions, let's add the Sudamericana, are from Brazil. Yeah, so uh, Red Bull Bragantino, who's uh, just they're on a rise. So another one, and obviously yes. Atlético Paranaense. We have to add them to this because at one point early on the season they were in first place. They were in, in the Brasileira. Uh, Red Bull's done it, man. Red Bull's done a nice job. They've done a nice job in Europe, and now they're doing a nice job with their Brazilian interests as well. Give me a, give me the, who's going to win it real quick. Who do you think wins the Libertadores? Woo, man, you got me on that one because I, I, you know what. I would have to say, I said that Atletico Mineiro is the best team in South America, but I would believe Flamengo is probably going to win that again. Oof. Okay, I'm going to go with Atletico. So Flamengo, Atletico yeah. final. And, and you, you know what? If you if you end up doing that, you probably might not be wrong. <laughs> I know. I mean, it, it's a pretty thin line. I, I think Palmeiras is a notch below them, and then you have everybody else. And, and Barcelona is a tricky team because they can play very well at home. They can play in altitude. And that's a bit of, a, of an Achilles heel for them. Now, I could, if this Barcelona team stays together, stays healthy, and makes, an, and, and makes a couple of important investments, I could see them next year being at least in the final. Why? Because the final is in Ecuador. Very interesting. And look, it's good for the Brazilian teams. You have the Sao Paulo team. You have the Rio team. You have the Belo Horizonte team as well. So it's, it's a little width and breadth going on. Yeah. Juan Arango, ladies and gentlemen, you can throw anything his way. He can talk football. And <laughs> we appreciate you, my friend. Thanks for joining me. We're all a little smarter as well. And now we're going to get pumped up for some South American games. Never a dull minute here 
in our cool. in our wonderful sport. And I'm about to start doing Lanus and uh, Newells in just about an hour or so. Oh, great. Give my best to Jose Sand. I would appreciate it. Jose Sand and, and the Conquistador, Pepe de la Vega. <laughs> Fantastic. And, and, and trust, yeah, Pedro de la Vega sounds more like a Spanish Conquistador than a No, he's like he's El, El Zorro, the El Zorro Argentino. Yeah, exactly. Juan Arango doing wonderfully here in the business end with me. We'll be back with stoppage time where we'll talk about the situation of the golden generation of the U.S. men's national team. Not going as well as we would like. We'll see what's on the horizon. That's next. back here on the soccer OG time now for stoppage time the uh, US men's national team will be converging once again in a couple weeks two and a half weeks specifically until they face Jamaica in Austin on October the 7th then they face Panama October the 10th and October 13th that Panama game is away October 13th Costa Rica in Columbus so two of the next three games are at home I would expect no less than six points out of these three games after the five points that they picked up in the first round, which uh, many below, many thought was below par. I thought probably right where they should have been when they had the two road games with a young team. A reminder, go to my YouTube page, Max Bretos, and I will have a top 10 players that should be called into this October camp. Uh, I'll let you know if they will make it or if they will not. A lot of good candidates out there. And there's a lot of good players in this pool, which is going to make things very difficult for Greg Berhalter. I think this October selection will be his most difficult yet. He has an idea of what to expect in these qualifiers, who he can rely on, who he has to maybe push a little bit more. Uh, and there's a lot there. There's a lot there. And he needs to get results, first and foremost. So it's all about that. And if he feels... Maybe a guy in MLS or someone off the beaten path or Tim Ream or Sebastian Legette or one of these guys has, gives him a better chance of getting a result. He will probably go that way. It's a high risk, high pressure situation. He has to qualify for the World Cup. It's the biggest job arguably in the history of this in the game because we have the World Cup in 2026. We absolutely have to qualify in 2022. And it brings up to the golden generation. And we have to give them a break because they are going through this by and large for the first time. It's a young group. They've made some mistakes. They are very brittle. They pick up injuries. And how much responsibility do you give this group? Because you're giving them the keys to the car. And then the first real look at World Cup qualifiers didn't go that great. The U.S. got bailed out by a lot of the MLS players, a lot of the experienced guys that came in to... Uh, help engineer not ricardo pepe's not an experienced player but the 18 year old mls based player um wasn't really on the radar he got in there because other forwards were not delivering and he delivered but let's look at that group pulisic reina dest let's throw josh Sargent in there as well weston mckinney john brooks because he's the the big name defender uh holdover didn't play well john brooks weston mckinney got into trouble Polisic injured again. Reyna injured. Dest injured. Dest looking a little bit out of place. Josh Sargent can't score goals. This was the core group we were going to give it to. And I think they will still, in some combination of that, get us there. And we're not going to be critical of a guy like Gio Reyna or Christian Polisic because of injuries. But for Christian Polisic, it's one after the other. So it's a little worrisome. There are guys on the periphery that have come up. Brendan Aronson. 
has delivered. Several others. Miles Robinson, MLS-based defender, has become our most reliable defender. These are situations that are coming up, and Greg Berhalter is going to gravitate towards it. So do we... How do we view the golden generation? Does Weston McKinney get a, a pardon and get right back into these October? I'm not 100% sure he does. This is an opportunity where Berhalter and U.S. Soccer can really lay down a message that whatever he did will not be tolerated. We haven't got all the details, but I've heard some pretty uh, saucy uh, accounts. Do you want to give responsibility to these guys that show that maybe they're not ready for it? Maybe it's a waiting game. Maybe it's a plan B sort of situation. Other guys stepping up. Gianluca Busio, Matthew Hoppy, Eunice Musa back in there a bit. There are options for Greg Berhalter, but there's so many of them, it's going to be very difficult. But this, to me, is a bit of a crossroads for that group because it was expected they would take over this team and lead us to the promised land with relative ease. USA is still going to qualify for the World Cup. I feel confident in that. But what will that team look like? Uh, Tyler Adams is in that group. He's still in. He's going to be a lockdown starter, but he's not starting all the time for his his club Leipzig, and they're struggling. It's a, it's a trying time, and I think we're going to see a lot of the true colors of these guys coming out. Gio Reyna is probably not going to be ready for those October uh, qualifiers. Christian Pulisic, yes, but it'll be a wait and see, obviously. New guys, Jesus Ferreira, Julian Araujo, do they get a nod out of MLS? I, I, this is one of the most intriguing stories I, I, I've been covering lately, and you know I watch everything, but this U.S. player pool and the importance of them qualifying is massive here on Stoppage Time. We'll continue the discussion. Check out the YouTube. Uh, we did give away that pullover from Bumpy Pitch and... Michael Gardner, I believe his name. We'll get that out to you. We're going to give away stuff here, so stay tuned to the Soccer OG Podcast and YouTube show. Appreciate all of you guys. Please subscribe, download, rate, and review, and we'll do it all again. Next Sunday, we'll have the podcast. Uh, it looks like Adnan Verk, my old friend from ESPN, will be joining me here then. Placido Domingo, even though it's a Monday. <laughs>